Excited. Hey, are we on Facebook? Welcome to our Facebook. Hey, everybody say hi to our Facebook crowd. That was awful weak. Listen, they're really more excited than that, folks. Um, listen, I'm, I'm at this joke. I've struggled with my joke, not because it's bad, just because I'm really bad at accents. Uh, and this, I've got to have an accent. We play this game with our family uh, where you have to read phrases in different accents. And I go into this game thinking I'm really good, but I'm not. I am terrible. My, my uh, accent may supposed to be a Spanish person, and it sounds like I'm from Ireland or someplace. It just gets all over the place. So, but I'm going to tell you, my accent is going to be of an Italian guy. Now, the first service, I thought I did pretty good with it. But who knows what I may sound like in this one. But uh, there was this uh, church that had these weekly small groups. And one of those small groups was a group for men about being a husband and about marriage. So they had this gentleman there in their church, Giuseppe, an older Italian man, and they, he, he was approaching his 50th wedding anniversary. So the pastor said, Giuseppe, would you come in and speak to our men about what it takes, how you accomplished being married to the same woman for going on 50 years? So Giuseppe said, absolutely. So he showed up to this men's meeting, and he stood up, and he's like, well, uh, I tried it to a three-year, uh, not see, I told you it's bad. I tried it to a three-year nicer. I spent a lot of money on her. I opened up a door for her. But the best thing I did for her, I took her on her 25th wedding anniversary. I took her back to our homeland, Italy. And the pastor like, that is amazing. Man, you, you are such a good husband. What are you going to do for your 50th anniversary? I'm going to go get her back. In other words, there was a 20, if, if I explain it to you. <laughs> hey, welcome to week three of Marriage Stories. Can I be honest? When I was thinking about this, I felt like God laid it on my heart. I'm like, God, man, this, people just don't like series about relationships or marriages. But I have found this to be one of our better series. And, man, I believe God is doing a lot of healing throughout it. At week one, we, it was a series called The One. We talked about Jacob Rachel and Leah, we talked about uh, how this, God must be your one and your spouse your two. And I, I'm going to say this, and I know it's not popular, but hey, God must be your one, your spouse your two, not your kids one or two. I'm just going to let it marinate there. Because don't get mad at me, I'm just a messenger. But we talked about that. Last week, we took a um, phrase from the great philosopher Rob Snyder, water boy, and said, you can do it. And we believe, hey, man, you can do it. You can have this. We talked about this. We talked about uh, uh, the marriage story of King Ahab and Jezebel and how a godly wife makes a weak man stronger, but a controlling wife makes a weak man weaker. And we looked at that, and how does she make him weaker? By two ways, by belittling him and by just taking over. Oh, you never do it, right? Let me just do it. Come on. Uh, and God calls men, though, to be three things. To be the woman, the wife's provider, to be her protector, and to be her pastor. Men, we should be the ones setting the spiritual tone and direction for our homes. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to look at the marriage story of Abram and Sarai. Uh, their name will later be changed to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, but this story is found in Genesis chapter 12. If you have a Bible or Bible app want to turn with me, you can. Uh, if not, I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Let's start like this. How many people, single people, you're not married, hands up. Come on, get them up. Hand, not married, hands up. Come on, hi, hi. Look around. I'm trying to help some of you out right now. Look around. Look around. Here's the thing. If you're thinking about getting married, if you uh, have been married and think, well, I'm going to get married again, let me ask you this question, especially for those that have never been married and you're thinking about it. What do you imagine your marriage is going to be like? Don't, don't answer, just, just think about it. What, you, what do you think your marriage should look like? 
All right, now let's go to the married. How many married folks are in the house? Come on. Come on, you're married. Boy, not a lot of excited married people. I guess. Married people. Now, married people. Let, let me say this. How, I want you to think back before you were married. Some of you, that's easy. All for the glory days. So think back before you were married. When you were contemplating taking that leap, contemplating getting married, what did you think marriage should look like? I mean, what, th think about it. What, what did you think marriage, maybe it was something like this. You found yourself in love. You were head over heels. You've got all these tingly feelings going on in your heart, in your head, and other places. And I don't know what y'all are thinking. I was thinking the toes. Uh, and you probably thought those tingly feelings, they're going to last throughout my entire marriage. You probably thought, I'm going to get the perfect home, a little white pick fence. I'm going to have two kids. We're going to have a great job. Uh, we're going to grow old together. And all the while, maintain and have these tingly, lovey, goosebump feelings throughout our marriage. I know I'm close. You may not want to admit it, but I'm close. Here's what I know. How you answered that question before you were married and how you answer that question 5, 10, 20 years into your marriage is very different. What you expected life or marriage would be like and what it really turned out to be was quite different. Uh, can I get a, an Amen. Come on, it's quite different. If you, here, here's what the, it, it's going to be different. If you ask some people in this room, hey, what do you want out of your marriage? Some people, and this is honest, they would say, well, if I'm being honest, PK, I'm just hoping that we stay married. I'm just hoping we don't lose our dang minds at this point. <laughs> Come on. Your answer to that question is different today than it was before you got married. Why? Expectations. Expectations. And here's what I find to be true if you're taking notes. When it comes to marriage or when it comes to life is this. Your expectations don't always line up with reality. Come on. They don't always line up with reality. Sometimes it ends up it's way better than you expected. But more times than not, it's not as good <laughs> As you expected. Now, I'm not saying it can't get, but it's not what you expected. So a lot of times you find yourself saying this. Well, this is nothing like I thought it'd be. And if you ever thought about marriage counseling with me, this is what you'll get. It's not nothing like I thought it would be. I've said this statement many, many times. Hey, love is blind, but buddy, marriage is very eye-opening. Expectations. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. But can we agree? It is rarely what you expected it to be. Life or marriage. Come on. Amen. I, I remember when Denise and I first met. Um, I just moved back from California. And some of y'all say, well, that explains a lot. Uh, moved back from Northern California. Rededicated my life back to God. Uh, began to go to this church over in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I walked into the office of this pastor and his wife and that was in their home. And there sitting behind this desk was this fine, hot, put-together woman. And I said, I want that. And I went after that. The chase was on. As I said before, listen, I didn't walk in that and think, oh, I bet she's got a nice personality. I walked in thinking, boy, she looks good. She looks good. And, and the chase was on. And, and it, she would not uh, uh, can give up to me easily. Let's say that. We would run around together. We became friends. We'd go to concerts together. But every time it was just friends. And I let her tell herself that. <laughs> but I slowly broke down her defenses. <laughs> And we began dating. We fell in love. Uh, she had a daughter when we got married. And, and, and let me know right up front, Kelly, if you love me and you want to marry me, you need to know I don't want to have any more kids. And I let her believe that I was fine with that. 
And so, because in my mind, what my expectations were, I wanted a boy and a girl in that order. I wanted a boy and a girl. And, and so, I was like, okay, but yeah, I'm fine with it. I just, I just love you. I just want, I don't want kids. I'm, I'm fine with that. And, and so, uh, I, I, again, I slowly began to break her defenses down. And Denise ended up getting pregnant and gave birth to our little girl, Kennedy Gabrielle. And she was born in this world, and I'll tell you this, my world was wrecked. Not because it wasn't a boy, but because I never knew I could love someone so much that I had just met. She wrecked my world. Now, now, and throughout our story, there, there have been good times and there have been times of heartbreak. But I will tell you, it was nothing like either one of us expected it would be. There were times as much better, times not so much. And there are a lot of you that as you look at your marriage, you're thinking, this is nothing like I expected or imagined it would be like. Then there are others in here that, that it's not like you expected because you thought, I'm getting a certain age, I thought I'd be married by now. Or others of you, you got married and you thought, I never thought I'd walk through this kind of mess. Never thought I'd walk through divorce. Never thought I'd walk through infidelity. Never thought I'd walk through these things. And life was unexpected. It hit you unexpected. And if you're here and you're in any of those scenarios or any scenario where life has not been expected, I believe today's marriage story can speak to you right where you are. Genesis chapter 12, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, here's a promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Understand what is going on here. God is telling Abraham to leave everything that makes you comfortable, everything that you identify as you, leave your people, leave your country, leave your home and go where? Oh, I'll show you. Just start walking. Come on now. That would take some faith. God, worry. I mean, I'd be like, can I get at least a little north, south, east, west? Oh, just start walking. I'll show you. And, and the thing is, man, this speaks to us. His act of obedience would resonate that, that Abram took that day all the way into the New Testament. They'd be talking about him. Hebrews eleven eight says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Can you imagine the conversation Abram had with his wife, Sarai. Hey, babe, hear me out. God's calling us to go. Go where? Don't know. We're just going to pack up and start going. How many men, your wife would say, great, let's do it. There may be one or two of you, but for the most part, it's like, uh, when you get some better direction, you come back and see me. So, men, you know what this makes me wonder? As a husband, what had she seen in Abraham, Abram up to this point that would make her just say, you heard from God? I have no doubts. Let's go. I believe she saw him be faithful to God in the past. I believe she saw him hear from God and him move. Men, can I say this? Maybe if we would get in there, wives would see us be more faithful and obedient to God. Maybe it wouldn't be so hard for them to follow us. That is good. Hard, but it's good. I'm telling you, though, when God calls you into a life of blessing, as he did Abram and Sarai, the only road there is a road called faith. You have to have faith. I, I would love to say that I've had that kind of faith uh, but if God came to me and was like, go to the land I'm going to show you, come on, I'd be like, uh, show me the land first, God, then we'll set out. Anybody else? Be honest. Show, show me the land, then we'll set out. Give me some details, God. Could you at least give me a zip code? But I'm convinced there's a couple of reasons God doesn't give us details. 
You know what the number one reason God won't give us details? You can't handle the details. Come on, that's an old movie. Right? You can't help the trick. No, nobody. Okay, let's move on. I, I, when God spoke to Denise and I about moving our comfortable life down in the Atlanta area, leaving a church we loved, a well-paying job that we loved, uh, pastors we loved, a city that we loved, to come to 10 Mile, Tennessee. Come on. He did not give us all the details. If God had showed us what was going to happen when we got back here, I would have said, uh, thank you, God, for believing in us, but I know thank you. We're good. I believe a lot of times God doesn't give us all the details because if we knew everything that was going to be involved, we would not obey a lot of times. We wouldn't follow. I believe the second reason that God doesn't give us all the details, because if we had all the details down to a T, it would not require faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I believe there are a couple of reasons he doesn't give us all the details. So Abram gets this promise from God that he and Sarah are, are going to become this great nation. In other words, they're going to have kids. They're going to have grandkids. They're going to have great-grandkids and on. And the New Testament, while the New Testament recognizes them as this great heroes of our faith, when you do some examination into their life, they didn't always have great faith. They didn't always get it right. Are, are, you, are you following me? You're going to see Abraham, and when we look at this story, fail in his faith. You're going to see Sariah fail in her faith. You're going to see them as a couple fail together in their faith. And this should give you hope, married or not. Because here's the truth. Even when we are faithless, our God is always faithful. Always. But here's the truth. A lot of times when things don't go as expected, rather than strengthening our faith, it causes us to run in the other direction. It causes us to go in the other direction. Why? I think there's three things that happen in, in marriages in life when things don't go unexpected. The first one is this. We become a victim of fear. I mean, it, that, that's what happened to Abram. There's this famine going on in the land. Uh, Abram moves his family to Egypt, and, and he, he, he ran into some circumstances, some situations he was not ready for, life unexpected, and it caused him to doubt and fear. Come in, Genesis 12, chapter 10, I mean, chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. He says, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Here's what's going on. During this time, when you went into enemy territory, a place that wasn't your people, if they liked your wife, if they thought that she was beautiful and they wanted her, they could kill you and just take her. It was all right. It was all right. And here's where the fear over faith comes into play for Abram and Sarai. God had made them a promise. You're going to have children of your own. Now, now I didn't make great grades in school. Uh, but according to what I do know, in order to have a kid, you have to be alive. Thank you, man. You, you, the man has to have a, especially in this day, has, has to have a heart beating, right? And, and here Abram has got this promise from God. He knows what God has promised him, but now he begins to let fear dictate his walk. No, you know what? We're going into this town. God's made us a promise. They're not going to bother me. No, no, no. He said, hey, babe, here, let's lie. Let's compromise their values. Even though I know what God says, I don't believe that God can take care of me through it. And Abram allows fear to steer him into this sinful and wrong decision, and he de decided to lie. Why? Because he didn't really trust God to do what God told him he was going to do. That's just simple facts. What's interesting about this story, though, is that God had promised you're going to have kids. And all of a sudden, 
He's afraid he's going to die. He's afraid he's not going to make it. And, and, and so he begins to fear. Fear sets in and causes him to make unwise decisions. Doesn't that still happen? I, I mean, a lot of us get taken off track. We're walking in the favor and blessing of God. But something happens and fear sets in. And that takes us off track of where God's taken us. Uh, a lot of couples uh, won't get married or they'll postpone marriage or just decide to live together instead of entertaining marriage. And they may not say it, but I'll tell you this. Most of the time, it's driven by fear. What if, what if we get divorced? What if they cheat on me? What if it's financially just rough? We're not making it. I mean, what? And here's the thing. I'm not talking about People outside the church, I'm talking about followers of Jesus. Well, what if? What, what if we can't have kids? And what happens is rather than living and walking by faith, they end up living their life by fear and allowing it to dictate them. Denise and I see this all the time in marriages. We'll have a couple or individual come up to us and they'll say, Hey, uh, pastors, God has been dealing up with us about, uh, about giving about tithing and what you say about it, what the Word says about it. And the moment they verbalize it, the what if start. Well, what if we struggle? What if we can't make ends meet? What if we lose our job? What if we end up letting fear? And we end up letting fear dictate our faith, our obedience. Or God speaks to one couple about uh, staying home. Hey, to my, hey, stay home. Pour into your kids right now. And they hear God speak to them in fear. But what if we can't make it financially? Well, did God give you a promise? And we allow fear to dictate that. Or maybe God is calling you to start a new ministry or a new business. And the what ifs start bombarding you. We have to learn to begin to build one another up in faith instead of tearing each other down in fear. Are you hearing me? I, I told you about the birth of our daughter Kennedy. I didn't finish it out. Two years after Kennedy was born. I wore Denise down again. She was pregnant. And I was convinced this was my son. This was our son. Seven months into her pregnancy, Denise had a, gone to a regular checkup on the pregnancy. And I was at work. I'd gotten off work early that day. And I, I mean, all these details are still so vivid to me. Came home that day from work. And I hear a knock at the door. And uh, we, I'll tell you how long. We didn't have cell phones. I'll tell you how long. Get up, and it's my, our pastor. And I tell something's wrong. He says, uh, Kelly, uh, you need to come to me. Uh, Denise is at the hospital at Erlanger in Chattanooga, and uh, there's some complications with the baby. I take off down to Chattanooga, down to Erlanger, and I uh, get in there, and Denise and I meet with the doctor, and the doctor begins to tell us uh, that there's something wrong, and they're going to have to do an emergency C-section with the baby. So... We go in there, but we're still believing. Okay, God, you've got this. You've got this. We went in, sure enough, the C-section. Uh, our son, Gunner Christian, was born. Christian Gunner was born. Son I'd always wanted. And Denise couldn't see him because she's up here in C-section. But I peeked around. I looked at him. The moment I saw him, I knew something was not right. And Denise... I know she kind of caught you. Well, well, no, no, baby, everything's good. Everything's good. And I went out, and they sent me out in the hallway, and the doctor come out and said, Mr. Goins, there's something wrong. We're not sure what, but the condition your wife is in, don't tell her. And I remember walking out there. We were walking into the waiting room where my mom and dad was there. They had Kennedy. Uh, Denise's mom and dad were there. Kennedy comes running up to hug me, and I just grab her, and I began to weep. And cry. Because my son that I always wanted, something's not right. And uh, sure enough, the doctor comes in later and talks to Denise and I and tells us, uh, your baby is born, your boy's got trisomy 18. It's a, a mix-up in the chromosomes. And uh, went straight into the NICU and Gunner lived three days. My world was wrecked once again but in a different way this time. Fear began to grip me and Denise, especially Denise, and the thought of another child was out the window because fear began to dictate the choices we would make. What if 
Our other child is born with this. What if I miscarry? What if it's another defect, another disease? What if something else? And the question, she would not even talk about getting pregnant. It's out the door. And fear began to dictate how we lived our lives. And I remember being in a service. A guy named Billy Burke was preaching. And I'm up on the keyboards during this time. And he begins to give a word out from God. And I know it's to my wife. But I dare not look at her. I'm on the keyboards. <laughs> don't look up. Don't make eye contact. And he, he goes on and he comes back. No, I'm telling you, somebody's here. And I look up and I see my wife coming down to the altar. Thought I got this out the first service. And I remember, man, God just began to breathe new life into my wife. Fear began to, fear began to get it. I mean, faith began to grow inside her again. But it wasn't that night. I mean, fear wasn't broken off. In fact, Denise reminded me of this between services. Uh, I'd gone to bed. She was staying up late. And she was watching some secular TV show. I'm telling you, when God tells you, somebody tells me God can't speak. God speaks to me through movies, through secular, I'm, through the, some of the dumbest things, honestly. I, well, I see God there. And, and my wife said, I was watching this, this woman talk about this new book. And she looked at the screen and she said, are you going to allow fear to dictate your life? And then he said, Fear broke off me in that moment. And she said, without telling me, crap. <laughs> she, she got off birth control. That She said, nope, we're going to have a baby. Fear was broken off of her. And two years after the birth, the birth and death of her son, uh, Christian, Sheridan Grace Goins came into this world. I watched this fat sumu-looking little white powder-covered baby come out. And at first, I was like, put her back. She's not done. Put her back. <laughs> Fell in love. Two years after that, we saw God do a healing, sending Zion Gunner Goins into our world. And when that day we had that son, we saw healing get completed in our lives. And when I think about our lives and what we walked through and how we'd allow fear to dictate us, I thought, well, I cannot even imagine my life without Sheridan Grace or Zion Gunner in our lives. And I cannot imagine our lives without my granddaughter, Juno Capri, in my life. And here's what I'm saying. If we'd allow fear to dictate us and tell us what to do instead of stepping out in faith. I don't know what happened, but I do know this. There's some people here. You know God has spoke to you. You know God has said something, and you're allowing fear to dictate that step you're making. But you don't know. Hold on. Hold on. You don't know what's in store for you when you step out of fear and into faith and see what God does for you. I'm telling you, you cannot allow fear to dictate your life. Step out in faith. Step out in faith. I'm convinced, man, in marriages, in life, there's so much what-if talks. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? And all that is is fear talking. And if we allow fear to tear us down and make us walk away from what we know God has said, where God is leading Tell you, we need to shut those voices up. Shut them up. See, Abraham, 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 he knew what God had promised him, yet he panicked. They're going to kill me. They're going to take my wife. And he gave in to fear. The second thing that ha can happen when marriage or life goes unexpected is this. We get ahead of God. Anybody guilty of this besides me? Things aren't going the way I think they should or as fast as I think they should. So, oh, I'm going to be God's helper. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to get involved with this. I'm going to manipulate the situation. I'm going I'm to force what I think should happen. What was God's promise to Abram and Sarai? A mighty nation. You're going to have kids. You're going to have children of your own. But God's not moving quickly enough. So they decided, we're going to force the issue. 
And look what happens. Genesis 16, 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my wife, my, my slave. Now, let's say this. When you don't feel like God is moving quickly enough, it can cause you not to think straight. Any sane woman going to tell their husband to go sleep with their much younger housemaid or worker or friend? Not, not in the world I know of. And why? She says, perhaps I can build a family through her. In other words, I know God promises kids of her own, but it's not happening. So I'm going to cause it to happen. I, I, I'm going to do this. God promised this, so, uh, I, but, but I don't have faith to, to see it out. Instead of, instead of saying, you know what? God, God promised it. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to stick with it. Me and Abram, we're going to get to work doing what we need to do to conceive a baby. Y'all know what I mean by that. Uh, we're, going, we're going to get busy. Maybe that's the way I should have said. Uh, God's not going to do it. I'm going to get ahead. But no, she says, no, he's not doing it. So Sarai tells Abram her plan. Hey, go sleep with my much younger slave girl, Hagar. And uh, Abram's like, I guess I'll take one for the team. Uh, <laughs> Let's go do it. And he ends up going and having sex with Hagar, ends up having a kid. And here's the thing. What was born out of that, we're still seeing today. The trouble, the jealousy that was born out of that relationship is still being seen today in, in nations and people groups that hate each other still to this day. Why? Because someone chose to get ahead of God, move ahead of God. I mean, you see this entire story. But Denise and I have seen it happen over and over. You see a woman that loves God, a woman that's a follower of Jesus, and she's looking around. All her friends are getting married. Her friends are having babies. And she's like, I'm getting older. And so instead of believing that God can bring her a godly man that will take care of her and treat her right, she settles for a man that's got a pulse and a job. And a lot of times not even a job. Come on. Can I tell you, single people, there are a lot worse things than being older and not being married. It's being older and being married and having to live through a hell because you made a choice out of fear instead of faith. Amen. There's a lot of people that can say amen and tell you stories about it. And my wife, when she got pregnant with, with April, I wasn't married. And she gave in and, and got married out of fear to a guy that later within weeks left her and her daughter and did not support them in any way at all. There's far worse things that can happen, guys. You see it in young couples. They want the financial blessing, the stability. They're in their 20s. They're looking at their parents that are in their 50s, and they're thinking, man, let's be like them. Let's be like mom and dad. But instead of waiting, instead of investing, instead of making wise decisions with their money, they decide, I want to live the life mom and dad live, and they go out and get credit card bills. They go out and pile up debt. Why? Because they don't realize that it took mom and dad 20, 30, 40 years to get the life they've got. But they want it now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait on it. So they do that. Maybe it's a wife uh, that gets married. Uh, and she's married to a guy that's he's not a Christian. Or maybe he's a Christian, but he's just not really pursuing God at all. And she wants so badly for him to be involved and to get saved. But instead of winning him over with her humility, her gentleness and patience, she tries shoving Jesus and religion down his throat to the point where he wants nothing to do with it. Are you hearing me? 
Or you've got the guy that hates his job. He's praying that God will bring him another job. But he's tired of waiting, so he decides just to quit this job. And a year later, he's still jobless. Why? Because he got ahead of God. He got ahead of God. I'm telling you guys, here's what you need to understand when you're waiting on God. God is rarely early, but he is never, ever, ever late. He's rarely early, but he's never late. He has perfect timing. And the thing is, when you're waiting on God, waiting on God is active. It's not passive. People, well, you, people tell, will tell me, they, they've quit telling me this now because I'm, I guess I'm so blunt with them. Um, but, well, Kelly, I'm, I'm just waiting on God to bring me the right job. Were you out putting in applications? You out putting in and things trying to, no, I'm just believing God's going to give me the right job. Well, that's stupid. Can we say that's just stupid? Uh, Scott, Scott said this at our Celebrate Recovery the other night. He said, I believe God can move mountains, but I believe he expects me to show up with a shovel. You know, hey, pray. Yeah, pray about the right job. Pray about those things. But faith without works is dead. Dead. Ladies, if you've got a guy that says that, you run like Hades from him. Are you going to be supporting that man the rest of your life? Boy, that's, oh, that's good, Pastor. I'm not clapping because I'm sitting by him, but that's good. When we're waiting on God, it's not passive. What does a good waiter or waitress do? Do they just sit there? A good one. Do they just sit there until you ask them for something? They're serving you. Hey, what can I get you? Hey, what do I need? Hey, you need to refill. Let me get that for you. Oh, let me recommend something for you. When you're waiting on God, that's what you do. You, you serve God. You serve that church. You serve that spouse. You serve those kids. It's not passive. It is active. You get involved with it. But Sarah doesn't wait. And she wants to take things in her own hands. She gets ahead of God. It's easy to do. Can we be honest? God's not moving like It's easy to get ahead of God. And here's the third thing that happens when life or marriage doesn't go expected. We don't believe that God will do it for us. It's easy to believe that God will do it for somebody else. And at the same time, hard to believe he'll do it for us. It's easy to believe he'll do a miracle in their life. He'll answer their prayers. He'll come through for them. I just don't think he'll do it in my life. Come on. I mean, but when you look at the story of Abram and Sarai, it's easy to understand why they get this thinking. Because when you look at the time frame of when God said, you're going to become a mighty nation for this, it's been 30 years since that promise. 30 years. Ladies, think about it. If God said, Spoke to you so clearly, you're going to have a baby. What are you going to do? You're going to go home and start getting you a nursery ready. You're going to start getting that, that, that room ready. Man, you're going, you're going to tell friends, oh, it's going to have a baby. But what, what, what happens when six months go by and you're still not pregnant? What happens when a year goes by? Still nothing. Five years. Ten years. Thirty years. It's easy to see why Sarah and Abram decided let's take matters in their own hands. I'm tired of waiting on God. And when you read on, God comes to them again 30 years after the original promise. But this time he says, I'm, I, they didn't get it, so I'm going to be more specific with them this time. Genesis 17, uh, verse 15. God said, also said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, which I'm so glad because Sarai is hard for me to say for some reason. Uh, I will bless her and will surely give you a sign by her. First is nation. Now, I'm okay. I'm going to talk. You need me to talk more plain. I'm going to give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down and laughed. 
and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child of the age of 90? Abraham's like, God, this is not the time when little blue pill exists. I'm a hundred years old. Everything's not working like it used to. And have you seen Sarah? Her womb's dried up, God. It's a prune. It's, it's dead. You don't believe me it says that? Because you look at how Sarah responds. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my man's old, now you're going to give me this pleasure, my son? I'm 52 years old. If Denise were to come and tell me she's pregnant, I'd shoot myself. <laughs> the thought of raising a baby at 52 years old. No, thank you. No, thank you. 90 and 100 years old. Abraham, it says Abraham laughed. Said, I'm old and my wife's worn out. Sarah laughed. She said, I'm worn out and my husband's old. Here's what I'm getting at. Tell me they hadn't been preaching fear to each other this whole time because both of them were saying the same thing. I know what he promised, but man, that's, that's hilarious, God. I could have saw this 30 years ago. But come on, look at us. Look at us, God. But love this. Look what he asked Abraham. Why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? And then God asked them this question that just had to hit them at the very core. He said, is, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I believe those words were piercing to Abraham and Sarah. Why? Because I, I think it caused them to think back when God had come through over and over and over again in their life. And now they're, they, they've got some doubt. They've got fear. And God said, are you serious? Is there anything too hard for your Lord? Is there anything too hard for your God? And I know there's something here maybe today that you want to be pregnant. You want to have a baby. Maybe even the doctors have said it's not possible. And you want And I understand that's got to be painful. But I want to ask you the same question God asked. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, the answer is no, there's not. There's not. I, I'll tell you this. If God can take a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and prove, provide the, uh, uh, make the nation of Israel, there's nothing too hard for our God. Maybe you say, Kelly, I, I get it. We want to be pregnant. We're, we're not financially able to, to go and have tests done and find out if there's something wrong. And, and in fact, we would adopt, but we can't afford to adopt. So we're just, is anything... Too hard for our God. Well, Kelly, we're in debt. I just don't see a way out. We're always going to struggle. We're always going to come up short. Is there anything too hard for our God? Hmm. Nick, Melvin, God told me to ask you the question. I know things don't look good with the home. I know things, promises have been broken to you guys about your home. And you're wondering what is going to happen to us. And God says to tell you and ask you this question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Amen. Don't put your confidence in man. Put it in God. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you're like, Kelly, there's no way. There's no way I'll ever trust again. There's no way we'll ever feel the same about each other again. There's no way. It's just, it's too far gone. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, well Kelly, you just don't know my husband. And I said, do you, do you really not believe that God is big enough? That he can't send Holy Spirit down to capture that man's heart and cause him to surrender God like that. You don't think he can do that? Is there anything? Well, Kelly, you don't know my wife. I'll ask you, you don't think God is big enough to come down and capture that woman's heart and cause her to surrender fully to Christ? 
Is there anything too hard for God? Uh, well, Kelly, I, I, I'll never get married. I'm just getting old. There's no one out there. You're telling me you trust God with your soul to save your soul, but you don't trust God with providing you with a companion? Come on. Come on. Well, Kelly, I've struggled my whole life with addiction. It runs in the family, and I just don't see any way out from and under it. Is there anything too hard for God. Casey, Tiffany, is there anything too hard for God? Casey's up here. I, I, I had to get my, my, camera, my phone out. Took, I, and I used don't care. I took a picture. I posted it to Facebook. Yeah, I did that in church. I was like, who would believe that my brother would be up encouraging people in the Lord? I said, oh, yeah, my mom did and God did. Is there anything too hard for God? Here, here's the thing. If you're married, be honest. And me, hey, you're no, my, your marriage is not what it should be. Here's what you need to do. Invite Christ to be the center of your marriage. Quit playing church. Quit playing religion. Quit showing up only when your marriage is out of control and you think there's trouble. No, decide we're going to invite God to be at the center of our home, our life, and our marriage no matter what happens. If life hits us unexpected, we'll cling to the cross. We'll cling to him, but we're going to have an anchor to hold on to. Come on now. He alone. There are some young, some, some single people, young and old. Maybe you've walked through a divorce, maybe you're not. And, and you, when you walk through that divorce, you thought, my world is over because you thought that person completed you or made you who you are. I'm here to tell you, God is enough for you. And only God can complete you. Quit expecting somebody else to fill the void in your life that only God can fill. Quit trying to because you will run from one relationship to another because you think that's who you are. And God is trying to say, no, 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 you're my daughter. You're my son. I am enough if you'll just run to me. He alone is enough, guys. If I can get Bob to come on up telling you, when your faith starts wavering, can I be honest? It will. You have time that your faith will waver. I do. You have time. Hang on to Christ. Hang on to Him. Because the good news, I said it a while ago, even if you've been faithless like Abraham and Sarah was, even if you've been faithless like Denise and myself have been, the good news, God is always faithful. Always. I mean, even though they messed up time and time again, Abraham and Sarah, I want you to look how they're described in the New Testament. Romans 8, or Romans 4, 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as God had promised him, just as it had been said to him. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. He faced the what? He faced what? The fact that his body was dead. His body was as good as dead. He faced the fact I'm 100 years old. He faced the fact my wife is 90 years old. He faced the fact. Here's the thing you need to understand. There is a difference between facts and truths. Facts can change. Truths never change. Fact. Here's fact. His body's dead. Fact. Fact. Her womb's dead. Truth. God made a promise to them, and he doesn't lie. Facts. And, oh, that's better than I. Maybe you'll get it here in a minute. Let, let's read on. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what? 
God had the power to do what he had promised. Don't waver in your faith. Even when life doesn't go as expected, even when marriage doesn't go unexpected, even when life throws you a curveball, don't waver in your faith. Even when your plans for life go out the window. Why? Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Facts change. Truth never changes. Fact, your marriage is broken. Truth, God is the restorer of broken things. Oh, I hope y'all, I'm, I'm telling you, some of y'all need to get this. Fact, I'm an addict. I have been for years. Truth, he is a chain-breaking God. Come on. He is a delivering God. Fact. I was molested. I was raped. I was hurt by someone who should have had my back, who should have been there for me. I'll, I'll never let anybody else in. Those are facts. Truth. He is the mender of broken hearts. He is the healer of hearts. And he is the lover of your soul. What are your facts? What are your facts? Kelly, I've always struggled with this sin. It's part of my family dynamics. It's been in my family for years. I look back and I see my dad, my mom, they did it. And it's just, come on. Oh, here's the fact. Here, that's fact. Here's truth. He is a breaker of generational curses. And you don't have to live like that anymore. What are the facts? And weigh them up against the truth. Stand with me across this room. Facts about me. I was divorced. 